I just saw some just horrid, horrid videos of people getting just picked up and moved up and things like that and uh, collected. Uh, a lot of ladies have been kidnapped, and I just want to I just want to pray for Israel. I do think that's actually it's more it's appropriate as we're going to be going through Genesis as well. Um, Father, we are so grateful this morning that we get to start on the book of Genesis. Thank you. You have not left your people in the dark. You have actually revealed yourself, revealed history, so that our worldview, Lord, would be close to your heart. And Father, we pray that you would give us an understanding of Genesis like none other through through this time. And Father, we pray that as we study, that the study itself would not be the... uh, end all, the goal, but rather to know you, to know your son more and more. To know even as uh, I was praying with Ty this morning that you have decided to include us in time in your awesome and wonderful and inscrutable purpose. And so Father, we thank you that you have given us your son Father, I pray that, Lord, this would not be an exercise in simply our mental intelligence. But, Father, that your spirit would take the things of Christ all the way through and help us to understand and to appreciate and to look at the glorious diamond that is Christ. We pray, Father, also, I want to pray for Israel. I want to pray for Lord, what is happening there? There is an answer in Genesis for all of it. Lord, folks don't believe. They think simply think it's a political fight. They simply think that it is a a differences in opinion fight. But Lord, we know from Genesis it's a spiritual fight, that and it's very clear in Scripture. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, uh, I pray for Israel and I pray for uh, Palestine. Lord, I just pray that you would do your work and save. Cause there to be repentance. Let there not be much loss of life if there's already been. Father, would you do your work? Lord, would they turn to the Messiah whom most of them have largely refused. We pray, you still got your people there, God. We pray you would do that work. Father, we we pray you would help us to understand. Lord, even though um, I thank you that you have the notes and that we have everything here to understand. And I pray that your, your word would be clear and understandable, Lord, and that we would be encouraged by it. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are starting our new um, series on the book of Genesis. And I thought, I, I don't think, I'm trying, I am at a loss of words to think of any societal ill that cannot be answered with the book of Genesis. Why do we study the book of Genesis? Because it is a definitely, it is a worldview. The book of Genesis, there's many reasons why we study it. 
the ideas such as abortion, such as race relations, the ideas of injustice, the ideas of sin, righteousness, judgment, the ideas of the Messiah, the idea of God, the idea of uh, the ruin of mankind, all stem from Genesis. In fact, every major doctrine that is ever taught can be gleaned from Genesis chapters 1 to 11. Now, as we go through it, um, as we look at Excuse me. As we look at Genesis 1 through 11, I, I, I want you to take a look here that I, I'm going to be preaching a sermon that I don't normally do, uh, and that is a, uh, an introductory sermon. I don't really like introductory sermons, but because Genesis is so big, I'm going to preach an introductory sermon to help us get our our hooks in, help us to get a handle and an understanding of what we are to study. So my prayer this morning is that you would grow in your understanding of God's unstoppable purpose of redeeming man through Christ as you study the book of Genesis. You'll see a lot of stories that are in Genesis, but you're going to see this meta meta narrative that weaves right through. And this is not going to be the sermon that you normally hear from uh, the pulpit. I'm actually just taking off my pastor hat today, and I'm putting on my professor hat today. So there's going to be a lot of notes um, today, it's just so that you have an understanding, and I, I, I think it'll be edificational. But to grow in our understanding of God's unstoppable purpose of redeeming man through Christ, in the book of Genesis, we have to examine three realities. Three realities. So in Genesis 1, of course, he starts out with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is the major, major first beginning of everything. But even before we start that, we need to understand Genesis in its setting. Or you can call Genesis, God reveals himself through Genesis. The word Genesis really means Uh, from the Greek word, means origins. In the Hebrew title, if you look at the text, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The first word really is in the beginning. That's one word. The word there is bereshith, right? So in in, uh, the Hebrew Bible, they would call it bereshith. Genesis is bereshith. And it's alluded to hundreds of times in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The author... Uh, even though the author doesn't identify himself, but both the Old Testament and the New Testament ascribe its composition to Moses. Moses was the leader of the new people that was enslaved in Egypt. There's been many arguments against Moses' authorship, but there's, uh, it disregards most of those attacks, especially in the 16 and 1700s, by the Wellhausen Documentary Hypothesis. Um, If you'd like to study that a little bit more, I have some uh, resources for you. But there's really been no evidence of supposed documents that have been separated. What they do is they think that Moses did not write Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They think in Genesis, what they said is the way they split up the scriptures is they said that there's a J-writer 
an E writer, an L writer. And what the the J writer is, he used the word Yahweh. And the E writer used the word Elohim. And the P writer was a priestly person. So it wasn't really the scriptures that we have right now. But that comes to it. There's actually no evidence for that. There's no documents that say that they're pieced together at all. In fact, it all starts with a presupposition that the Bible is not the word of God. That the supernatural does not exist. But here, notice in Exodus, even chapter 17, verse 14, you could look here in Exodus 17, verse 14. God says to Moses himself in Exodus 17 and verse 14, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua. That will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek under heaven. So he already tells them that he is writing the book. And Jesus says himself in John chapter 5 verses 46 to 47. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. It's interesting. Jesus attributes authorship to the Pentateuch. And he says he's writing about me. See, we have this, especially a lot of new te- uh, a lot of folks, a lot of Christians, we have a lot of Christians who think that the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament. That's actually heresy. Jesus himself said that Moses wrote about me. Now, the date and locations of Genesis to, to, be, to help us get a handle around it is um, in three very broad strokes. Chapters 1 through 11 span about 2,000 years. Uh, Moses writes about it, far removed from the time, but he writes about it, and it happens in Mesopotamia between 4,000 to 2,000 BC. It's from creation to the death of Terah. That's chapters 1 through 11. And then the next portion is in the promised land. That's from 2090 to about 1897. That's the death of Terah to Joseph. And then we have in Egypt, it's from 1897 to 1804. That's about 93 years. That's when Joseph uh, is in Egypt until the death of Joseph. So if you notice, it's from this very broad brushstroke to a very narrow focusing in on Joseph later on. Now we're going to see a lot of themes as we study the book of Genesis And we will look more into the theme of Christ in focus when we go to point three. But to give the people of God his own revelation of the beginning of everything. This is what God did. He's allowing us to get a glimpse because we are finite creatures of the beginning of everything. We understand the beginning of the universe from chapter one, verse one. We understand the beginning of man from chapter 1, verse 27. We understand the beginning of the Sabbath. That is chapter 2, verses 2 to 3. We we understand the beginning of marriage. I, I think it's incredibly difficult. I'll be, I would even say impossible to understand what marriage truly is without understanding what, how God had created it. Genesis 2, 22 to 24. We understand the entrance of sin into the world. 
And this is how we understand the world around us. That's from Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 to 7. We understand the idea of, of a sacrifice and of salvation. That there needs to be blood for our sins. We see that in Genesis 3.15 and verse 21. We understand the dynamics of family. From Genesis chapter 4 verses 1 to 15. We understand the beginning of civilization from Genesis 4, 16 to 21. We understand the beginning of government from Genesis 9, 1 to 6. We understand how now we have different people groups and how that's explained from Genesis. And it's been archaeologically proven from Genesis chapter 11. And then we understand the nation of Israel, Genesis 12 and on. So as we look at the book of Genesis, we're going to see that uh, that it's actually divided in these sources. We're just going to look at chapters 1 through 11 in the sources here. And I want to, I want to teach you a word. Can you guys say the word Toledoth? Toledoth. Okay. Now, the reason why I ask you to learn that word is because actually when we look into the book of Genesis, you're going to see it's separated by different Toledoths. Okay. A Toledoth simply means, in the NASB, we call it an account. In the legacy, it's the generations. In ESV, it's translated generations. It means a line of descendants. Generations, an account, a history, origin, or an order of birth. You notice in, in Genesis chapter 1 to, to uh, chapter 2 and 3, we know, we see this break of chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Look at chapter 2 when he talks about, um, then God blessed it in verse 3, the seventh day, and sanctified it because it is in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Verse 4. Verse 4, here's our first Toledoth. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they are created in the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. So here you see your first Toledoth. This is the account. This is the generations. This is the first separation. If it would be a chapter break because of the Toledoths, it would be right there. The next one, if you would follow with me, is in chapter 4 and verse 26. After marriage, worship, and the first murder, you'll see here in verse 26. Um, and, and going on to verse 5, chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book, here it is, the second Toledoth. This is the book of the generations of Adam. So now we saw all the people of Adam. We saw Cain and Abel as well. And so... This is now the second Toledoth. In chapter 6, in verse 8, you notice he says, in verse 9, he says, These are the records of the generations of Noah. That is the third Toledoth. This is the flood of new beginnings, and then it separates the next section in time. And after that is the preparation for the nations that come before. And you'll notice in chapter 11 and verse uh, 9 and 10. 
There is, their name is called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. From there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. Verse 10 now is the Toledoth. These are the records of the generations of Shem. Shem was 100 years old. And then he has that other break in, in separation. And then lastly, the last Toledoth is in chapter 11. And we go to verse 26. Notice in verse 26, he says, and then this is the, uh, now it focuses in on after Terah is the father of Abraham. He says in 27, now these are the records of the generations of Terah. So we see that there's these different breaks in chapters 1 through 11. And if you're going to look at chapters 1 through 11, uh, we would often call that, and it's systematically taught as the primeval history. And chapters 12 and on, or excuse me, part of chapter 11 and to 50 is called the patriarchal history. And that's how we would understand Genesis. If you're going to write a little column, and if you see some of your notes there, in the primeval history, in 1 through 11, we see the beginning of human race. It's nice to kind of compare as we take a look at this. And you'll see, as we get our bearings and our meat hooks into Genesis so that we could understand it, you see it's the beginning of the human race. In the patriarchal history, the focus then is now the beginning of the Hebrew race. In the first portion of primeval history, it's historical. It's talking about the creation of the universe. In the patriarchal history, it's more biographical. It's focusing on the people and how the focus is now going to be on Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then on to Joseph. In primeval history, you have four major events, which is creation, the fall, the flood, and Babel. In the patriarchal history, we have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. In the primeval history of chapters 1 through 11, you have God is sovereign in the physical universe. And then you have this change to God is sovereign in a moral and a spiritual sense. In chapter 5, I mean, excuse me, in also you see that God is sovereign in judgment and retribution. But in the patriarchal history, God is sovereign in government and people's distribution you see this movement from God in Haran and in Eden and then now God working in Canaan and in Egypt. Now to grow an understanding of God's unstoppable purpose of redeeming man through Christ in the book of Genesis. And the reason why we are spending our time in this is what I can very easily tell you what the gospel is. So we, we say it every Sunday that God has created you to image forth his glory that we have sinned and we have been separated from God because of that sin. We have been banished as it were as Adam was banished and, and as Eve was banished from his presence. But because of his own son, he sends his son to die on the cross for our sins. And if we believe in him, we will be saved. If we repent of our sins, we will be saved. I can say those four elements of the gospel really clearly to you. But that doesn't really carry the full weight of what God has done for you if you are in Christ Jesus. There is thousands of years that God has ordained for you to see and to marvel at his love for you in the gospel. And the gospel does not start 
in Matthew. The gospel starts way back in Genesis. So I, I hope that as we are going through this, that your hearts will sail at the magnificence and the glory of what God has done. Now, I, when my wife, when I plan a date and plan things to do and have it all planned out, the more planning I do, I think the more she appreciates it because she goes, wow, you really spent a lot of time on this. If I throw something together and put something in a paper bag and then just hand it to her for our anniversary, she'll say, wow, you did not think about this at all, right? God is unveiling and revealing himself to you of his eternal love for his people and his provision. So secondly, we're going to move on to Genesis within scriptures, or you can call it scripture is progressive in nature, okay? And not only are we to see what the setting of Genesis, the dates of Genesis, what, what it covers in its location, but also that its place in Scripture. And its place in Scripture, when I say it's progressive in nature, is that Genesis is the beginning and everything builds off of it. Scripture builds off of it. So what we see in obscurity, we might see in a translucent form, it becomes more and more clear as we see the gospel come forth. And as we see it that way, you're going to appreciate it that way as well. As New Covenant believers, we can't ignore the fact that Genesis is the beginning of revelation of all that God wanted us to know. But not only that, that Genesis has a consistent relationship with the other books of the Bible in that it is part of a progressive work that God did. So first, we're going to look at its relationship to the Pentateuch. That is, the first five books of the Bible. The first five books of the Bible is called the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The Pentateuch means five scrolls. It's also called the Torah. Uh, it's also called, collectively, the law. You'll see in the New Testament, uh, in Luke chapter 24, Jesus says himself... Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to him while I was with you. All these things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. So he has this threefold separation of what the Old Testament is. First there's the law and then there's the prophets and then the Psalms. You could see that in separation in many places. But having said that, as I continue on, there is this storyline. Because of creation, the origin of life, the entrance of sin, the flood. And if Genesis chapter 1 verses chapter 1 to 11, which is our first portion, if you recall. If it asks the question, how can what has been destroyed be repaired or redeemed? Where is the hope? And what will man do now? Then the rest of Genesis answers that question by calling Abraham and the rest of the Pentateuch to show that the blood covenant for man's redemption will be worked about through Christ. So what, what are we saying here? It goes back to the fact. It is going back to the meta narrative, Back to the story. That despite all of what man has done and in his rebellion... God is working a plan to save mankind. A purpose to save mankind. And you'll see this even in the elements of the Pentateuch. 
and it's, it's helpful to see in the Pentateuch to see both the human side and the divine side. In Genesis, the human side, we see in man's ruin through his fall, through his act of rebellion against God. And that act of rebellion has changed the nature of every single one of us. You may be sitting there and saying, no, I didn't do that sin. And that is true. But you reveal yourself that you are in Adam when you follow sin. When you live a life that is apart from Christ. When you live a life, you are exactly like Adam in the garden that says, I will do whatever I please. You can't tell me what to do. It is the creature telling the creator to take a hike. And then we see the demise of man, his sin and his fall. And on the, the flip side, we see in the divine side, we see the divine sovereignty in creation and election. There's, God still has his plan. In Exodus, we see on the human side, Exodus, we see redemption. We see Moses acting as the deliverer and them being, being freed from their slavery in Egypt. On the divine side, we see his divine power. God working mightily. We would remember even through your Sunday school, through the, uh, the power of the Red Sea, him splitting the Red Sea. Leviticus tells us on the human side of reconciliation. How do we come to approach a holy God? Whereas on the divine side, Leviticus tells us about his divine holiness. And in Numbers, it tells us about regulation, that is his laws and his ordinances. And on the divine side, we, we learn about God's goodness and his severity and us his dealing with sin. In Deuteronomy, we'll see the realization of God's promises. And in, and in the divine side, we see divine faithfulness. So we see that there's this relationship to Revelation as well. It's not just a relationship to Pentateuch, but it's a re, uh, relationship to the book of Revelation. When I say Revelation, is the book of Revelation. Genesis is introductory to the whole body of revealed truth. Not just complete revelation. Genesis is explanatory to the divine, to the whole body of revealed truth. It is the, if you were to talk about this, every single doctrine that we would hold, every important doctrine that we would hold, Genesis is the seed plot of that revealed truth. You can't understand sin apart from Genesis. You can't understand the... You can't understand the ruin that we're in apart from Genesis. We can't understand our need for reconciliation. We can't understand holiness apart from Genesis. Every major doctrine will be found in seed form in Genesis 1 to 11. And God started his revelation of himself in Genesis. And Genesis is the complementary to the whole body of revealed truth. So um, if we look at this and, and we do a comparison... In comparison, Genesis to the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible. The last book of the Bible, right? 66 books this is the last book of the Bible. Genesis and Revelation. Genesis is the book of beginnings. Whereas Revelation is the book of endings and new beginnings. So you'll start to see, I, and my prayer is that as we study Genesis, you start to see, you know, this Bible isn't so 
I don't mean to be, I'm not trying to be blasphemous or anything, but it's not so big. Does, does that make sense? That there is a time and there is a story running through the whole thing. It's not disjointed. Maybe that's a better word. It's not unconnected. You will see how God has revealed himself. If Genesis is the book of commandments, Revelation is the book of consummation. If Genesis is the beginning, Revelation is the conclusion. If Genesis tells us how it all begins, Revelation tells us how it all ends. If Genesis begins at the beginning and you can't go any further back, Revelation ends with the eternal state and you can't go any more forward. It is the, it is the bookend for us to understand all of history of God's working through it. Both Genesis and Revelation have a beginning and a new order. Both have a chaste bride. Both man walks with God. Both have this idea of holiness prevailing. Contrasted in Genesis, there is a heaven and earth. In Revelation, there's a new heaven and earth. In Genesis, there is a darkness and there is a night. And in Revelation, there is no more night. In Genesis, there are two lights. There's the sun and the moon. And in Revelation, there's no need for the sun and the moon. In Genesis, we see the deceiver of mankind come forward. And in Revelation, we see that the deceiver disappears forever. Hallelujah. Amen. In Genesis, you see that the first rebellion is doom expressed. And in Revelation, you see that the last rebellion is doom executed. In Genesis, there's defilement has entered. In Revelation, defilement never enters. Genesis, there's sin's entrance. In Revelation, there's sin's exit. In Genesis, there's the walk with God interrupted. And in Revelation, there's the walk with God resumes. If you recall in Genesis, when we get there, Genesis chapter 2, Adam walks in the cool of the day. And he fellowships with God face to face. That, that is what we do not have until, in full glory, that's what we do not have until we are in heaven with him. In Genesis, you see the initial triumph of Satan, and later on you see the ultimate triumph of the Lord. In Genesis, you see sorrow greatly multiplied. And in Revelation, there's no more sorrow there's no more crying. God says he himself will wipe away every tear. See, God is in the business of redeeming every single thing that sin has taken away. Every single thing. If he doesn't redeem every single thing, he is not a true redeemer. 
In Genesis, the ground is curse. In Revelation, there's no more curse. In Genesis, there's a closed paradise. In Revelation, there's an open and new paradise. In Genesis, there's no trespassing to the tree of life. In Revelation, there's free access to the tree of life. If you recall in Revelation, it says, come and eat at no cost. In Genesis, man is driven from God's face. In Revelation, man sees God's face. Do you remember in Philippians it says, and we shall see him as he is. In Genesis, man's domain is broken and in Revelation, man's domain is restored. In Genesis, there's the first Adam's marriage and in Genesis, there's the Second Adam's marriage. So there's a lot of comparisons that we can hold and look at. But there's also not just contrast, not just complete, not just comparisons, but there's also completions between Genesis and Revelation. In Genesis, there is the garden, and in Revelation, there's the city. In Genesis, there is one man, and in Revelation, the Bible says, there is a holy race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Multitudes and multitudes that cannot be counted, who have bowed the knee to Christ. In Genesis, there is the fall of man. In Revelation, there's the fall of the dragon and the harlot. Which is symbolism for Satan himself. In Genesis, there's the sentence of the curse on Satan. And in Revelation... He's executed in the lake of fire. In Genesis, the Redeemer will crush the enemy's head. In Revelation, he crushes his head. In Genesis, there's a revelation of promise. In Revelation, there's a revelation of perfection. Genesis is alpha. Revelation is omega. Genesis is what God begins. Revelation is God finishes. Isn't that amazing? What God begins, he finishes. Oh, how many projects I have in the house that I have not finished. But let me tell you, God never starts anything and doesn't finish. This whole book of Genesis all the way to Revelation, which is the last book, it is the proof and it is the product of the unity of Scripture that God is in sovereign control of the storyline itself all the way through so for to help us to grow an understanding of god's unstoppable purpose of redeeming man through christ in the book of genesis we have to number one understand genesis in its setting that god reveals himself through genesis through plain language for us to understand number two that genesis is within the scriptures that it fits in its relationship to the pentateuch to other scriptures to revelation of course that scripture is progressive in nature but lastly and i don't want to miss this and this is what i want to make a big deal about is that genesis is number three genesis and the savior that jesus is the storyline of genesis what happens is when people teach the book of Genesis, typically it becomes a bunch of segmented stories about, about uh, Noah and the flood and Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and it, all these segmented stories that have no real 
understanding, no real theme that is, runs right through. And that could be farther from the case. In fact, God, Jesus is uh, uh, the mer- meta-narrative. If you've never heard of that word, meta-narrative, all it simply means, it is the story within all of the stories. He is the plot line within the plot line. And so my goal, by God's grace, is to continue to keep fleshing that out. Here is where Christ is. Here is where Christ is. And in Genesis, there's really two big ways that it's shown, two main ways. The first way is through messianic predictions. That is, as scripture progresses, the identity of the promised Messiah becomes more and more clear. And there's really two verses that serve as anchor points for the believer here. Two real good verses to help us. Would you turn with me to number, uh, Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. This is after the fall. Okay, This is after the curse. After man and uh, Adam and Eve rebelled against God. He says, verse 14, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go all the days of your life. Look at the... um, Look at the, uh, the cursings. Look at verse 16. Before I get to 15, okay? Verse 16. To the women, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. And yet your desire will be for your husband. He will rule over you. That will be unpacked as we get to this verse. Later on, look at the curse upon Adam. Cursed is the ground because of you. In total, you will eat of it all the days of your life. This is why... Uh, this is this is telling us that we have to get our living by hard, hard work, continually working. Both thorns and thistles it will grow for you. It's not going to be easy. You will eat the plants of the field, and by the sweat of your face you will eat bread, and you will return to ground because you were taken from. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You will ultimately die. And in the middle of this cursing, cursing the devil in verse fourteen cursing the woman in verse 16, cursing Adam in verse verses 17, 18, and 19. In the middle of all of that, brothers and sisters, is the glimmer, is the light of hope. Look at verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. Do you ever wonder why sometimes it's so difficult even in marriages? Even for godly marriages, you ever wonder why it's so difficult to fight for your marriage? What, am, I just, am I just talking about me? Right? What happened to the amens? There's no amens right there. Everyone's just quiet. Right? You ever wonder, you ever wonder why guys speak a different language and girls speak a different language and we, we still speak, we, we try and speak English, but we're just not understanding each other. You ever get into arguments where you're just fighting and you don't even know what you're fighting about, but you're just still fighting. The Bible tells us that it is a result of sin entering into the world. Whereas before, we were to be naked and unashamed. 
that we were to, not just in a physical way, but the nakedness that we would have is we would understand each other completely. Not just by our bodies, but by our souls. And yet the Bible says, I will put enmity between you and your woman, uh, between you and the woman. So now he's talking about, and between, he's talking about here, between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise you on the head, and he shall bruise you on the heel. And he reverts now to Satan, and he's talking about the prophecy against Satan himself. And he says here, between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise you on the head, and he shall bruise you on the heel. Now here is the prophecy. is the is the is the the gleam of hope of the redeemer he says he will bruise you on the head which is uh, between your he says he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel the bruising on the head is a fatal attack the bruising on the heel is a non-fatal attack and so what he's saying here is in the text that Jesus himself will fatally destroy satan but here, this enmity between you and the woman, that's really talking about how there is a, a, a hatred between mankind and Satan. So here, that's one of the first anchors that we are to hold. And then the second anchor is in Genesis chapter 12. Notice in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 is the second anchor of verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now notice he says here to Abram, I am going to bless you and make you a great nation. I am going to bless you. And bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and all the families of the earth will be blessed. And now what God is saying is that there is going to be a great blessing that comes through the line of Abraham. So first, we have the first, the first anchor that we hold on to is that the Satan is ultimately going to be destroyed. And secondly, that the blessing in Genesis chapter 12 is going to come through Abraham. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. So the way that we would see that Jesus is the storyline of Genesis is number one through messianic predictions and we see that also as as the Messiah as a type. Messiah as a type. In Romans chapter 5 verse 14 it says Adam is a type of him who was to come. And you will see that the type uh, and whenever there's a type there's an anti-type. Christ is the anti-type and type is the, is the illustration to, po- uh, to point to a spiritual truth. Adam is the head of the old creation. Christ is the head of the new creation. Abel's sacrifice was acceptable. And the antitype is only Christ as a sacrifice is acceptable. In Genesis, Melchizedek is the righteous king and priest. In the book of Hebrews, Jesus is the righteous king and priest. In Genesis, Joseph 
is loved by the Father, hated by his brethren, rejected as a ruler, sold for silver, condemned through in it through the innocent and raised from humiliation to glory by the power of God. And Christ was also loved by his father, hated by the brethren, rejected as a ruler, sold for silver, condemned through the innocent and raised from humiliation to glory by the power of God. So having said this, when we take a look at this, of Genesis and we look we look at its setting and we look that it's in scripture as the beginning but lastly that Jesus is the whole story running through it our main text that we would look at is Genesis chapter 3 and Genesis chapter 12 so as a as we grow in our understanding of God's unstoppable purpose of redeeming man through Christ in the book of Genesis I want to encourage you that God reveals himself through Genesis. This is how he reveals himself. We haven't been left in the dark. He has shown us what to understand, how to see the world, how to see Christ, how to see the gospel, how to see sin, how to see redemption, reconciliation, how to see our society. Secondly, Scripture is progressive in nature. Genesis has a, a, a position and a place in Scripture that we should all look at and appreciate so that uh, as, as we see the culmination of Genesis in Revelation as well. And lastly, that Genesis, Genesis, excuse me, Jesus is at the center of Genesis from the beginning. Jesus is talked about. Even at the beginning where we have been cursed, Jesus is in the center Jesus is in the center of the lives of Abraham, even as it converts over from Genesis 1 to 11. And then it goes into Abraham's uh, blessing in Genesis chapter 12. And it talks about Israel. It's all about Jesus. Would you celebrate this and think about this and dwell upon this? You know, I got up early this morning, and I'm going to end on this. I got up early this morning, having studied this and having been thinking about, okay, how do I help folks understand the book of Genesis? And as I was studying this, I was outside this morning, and I was just looking at it, and it gave me a, a greater appreciation that every single time a bird chirps, every single time the, the branches move, every single time I see a sunset, every single time we go to the beach, right? Every single time you see every wave that comes... All of it was made for the glory of God. We have been made for the glory of God. This is what Ty was praying about this morning. We have been included in this. And we get to give him praise. Now the amount of praise or how we praise him depends on where our hearts are. Where is your heart? Where is your heart? Will we be counted as the ones who are under the curse or counted as the ones under the Messiah who was promised? As we go on this journey together, church, I, I'm so excited. I pray that we would get a better glimpse of who Jesus is. Why don't we pray? Father, we thank you for this time. We ask, Lord, that you would be glorified. I pray that this would be of some edification and some understanding it's all about your son it's all about giving him praise and I pray father that even as we get into the text next week we pray father that you would help us to remember that you by your glory has helped us 
you by your glory has created us. And Father, we pray that we would be in line with what you want us to be. Oh, everything is praising you except man. Everything is worshiping you except man who in his rebellion shakes his fist at God. And so we pray, Father, would you forgive us of our sins? Cleanse us of unrighteousness. Bring us back to reconciliation to you. The very reconciliation that you have promised from the beginning. Help us to sing in Jesus' name. Amen.